What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I'm just going to say it. Jimbo Fisher deserves an extension. <laughs> Give him a raise. <laughs> Give that man a raise. I am <laughs> Most underpaid coach in college football. People are asking. People need to know whether or not Jimbo Fisher has earned his $90 million. Unbelievable. AM pulls off the upset of the year in college football, maybe the upset of the decade, considering all the things that were working against AM. It feels suddenly like 2007, 2014, one of those two years all over again. What a wild day. What a sport. Down goes Alabama. Zach Calzada. Zach Calzada? What? Jimbo? All the negative things that we've said about them coming into the week. I owe some apologies, big time. I was so, so wrong on this, and I'm not gonna do the thing where I say that because I predicted this in the preseason that my pick was right. I had a couple of people tweet at me, oh, hey, you, you actually called this. I'm like, no, 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 I pivoted off of this pick. I could not have had this game pegged worse than, than what actually happened. So I'm not gonna do that. I have a whole bunch of apologies to hand out. We're gonna get to all that. In non-A&M Bama things, we had ourselves a nice little weekend here in Lexington. Still in Lexington right now, it has been just awesome. Got to do a ton of stuff here in addition to spending some quality time with the family. I'm working on a couple features for SDS that'll be coming out over the course of the next couple weeks. Got to hang out with our, our guys, Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, Cole Kublik. I had just a blast with them and I have a new appreciation for those guys, seeing what they do and getting a behind the scenes look at their entire experience. Also got to tour the Kentucky facility as well. Mm -hmm. Shout out to my guy, Tony Neely at Kentucky. Met up with our guy, Cash Daniel for a little bit. Great to see him. Caught up with friend of the program, Wandell Robinson last Thursday and perhaps above all else, Will, it happened. <laughs> I met Liam Cohen. It is, dude, it's weird. Like, really, really weird. We both, the first thing I said, the first thing I said, like, when I when I walked in, because I had, I had a, a meeting with them in the, in the Kentucky facility, and I, I, I expected him to walk in, and I would instantly be like, oh, we look way different. Like, it, maybe I was just seeing a certain angle on TV. No. It is strange. I'm convinced that we have some sort of family lineage in Ireland where our families cross paths at some point or another. He is extremely Irish. I'm extremely Irish, just a wee bit, as I like to say. Um, I, I, by, by the end of this weekend, I have convinced everyone in Lexington that I am, in fact, Liam Cohen. It's a good thing to be right is, now. It is a good thing to be. It, it is, and he had himself a, a heck of a night on Saturday with some of the looks that he was dialing up. Um, Jordan Rogers told me that I'm like, so if Liam Cohen had like an online dating profile, which he doesn't, he's got a wife, he just had a, he, he just had a kid, he's a new dad. Um, but if he had like an online dating profile that, that he would use my picture as like the, <laughs> the glow up picture, Jordan Rogers words, not mine. So again, we'll take that for what it is. Listen, if there's we'll someone who's all... an expert on being hot, it's him. <laughs> Man. That guy can't go anywhere. He can't go anywhere without getting mobbed. I watched groups of like a dozen college girls who just like awkwardly kind of waited just to say hi to him for like 10 minutes as they're passing by through the SEC Nation set, all those different things. 
dude lives quite the life. Um, I, I want to get to, I'll get to a lot of LSU Kentucky things as well. And just the entire crazy weekend, Arkansas Ole Miss was so much fun. So, so much fun. Millions of takeaways from this weekend that we're going to get to. But first, Will, on Saturday morning, I'm sitting at my brother's kitchen table, just getting to, you know, getting some, getting some coffee, all that stuff, doing a little prep work for a full Saturday ahead. We're going on a little morning hike. And uh, he opens the fridge and he says to me, need something for your coffee. And you know, we're in Lexington here. So I'm thinking that he's got like a jar of mayo because <laughs> one in Rome, but instead it was a bottle of Texas Pete. Look, if, if, Will, if Will Levis can put mayo into his coffee, surely one can put some Texas Pete in there. I haven't tried it yet and I passed because I wanted to save Texas Pete for everything else, but I thought about it. And it goes to show you, if you don't have Texas Pete in your fridge, what are you really doing? Because right now, as I always say, is the perfect time of year to be loading up on Texas Pete. Not only because it's football season, weather's getting a little bit chilly, but also because right now, our listeners, you can go to texaspeed.com and get recipes, t-shirts, hats, hot sauces by the box, by the box, that's right. And all you're gonna do is put in that promo code, Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South, and you can get 20% off your entire order off of Texas Pete products. All one word, Saturday Down South, texaspeat.com, sauce like you mean it. A&M beats Alabama. If you woke up on Sunday morning and thought you were in some bizarro world dream, you were not alone. History in College Station. Where, where should we start, Will? Where's, where's a good place to start? Oh man, you tell me. How about the Zach Calzada show, Connor? Oh God. I... <laughs> So there, are, and I owe Zach Calzada a, a, a big tip of the cap because that was ridiculous what he did. But just some of the, I need to set the context here because I think in a vacuum, we look at these upsets sometimes and we're like, oh, are we getting caught in the moment, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. We need not forget how incredible and rare it was to see this type of game happen. How about the fact that Alabama lost to an unranked team for the first time since 2007? How about the fact that Alabama lost to a non-top 15 team for the first time since 2010, the Steven Garcia game? That's the thing that I said was most impressive, even more impressive about the fact that Alabama hadn't lost to an unranked team since 2007, which was year one of the Saban era. And let's kind of say what you will about whether or not Alabama was really in position to beat teams on a consistent basis. How about the fact that Alabama lost in the first half of the regular season for the first time since 2015? Six years. Six years. And of course, for the first time ever, a Nick Saban disciple took down the master. Couldn't believe it. Just couldn't believe it. Okay, so the Jimbo Fisher element of this is wild because I was dead wrong. Look, I, I wrote, I said, every possible place that I had a microphone or a platform to write last week that AM was going to fall to 0-3 in ICC play. Jimbo's offensive failures with a backup quarterback were at the root of it. And boy, let's let's talk Zach Calzada because I don't know if somebody kidnapped him and put Johnny Manziel in his body, but that kid played out of his freaking mind. Out of his mind. Some of the throws that Calzada made were just dimes. That one on the sideline to A-chain, mm -hmm. perfect. Just perfect. I don't know if PFF had that as a, graded out as 100. In the Connor grading system, that graded out as 100. 
the floater to spiller in coverage as well. That's like kind of, it, it seems like that that's just his bread and butter. That's where he's most comfortable. It's almost like when he's set and he's throwing in the middle of the pocket to the middle of the field and he's got to just gun it, that that's actually kind of when he's at his worst. Weird, even doing his best Bryce Young invitation to step up in the pocket and then throw on target to Jalen Weinemeyer who was open was, was darn impressive. But the thing that was truly stunning, that last drive, the guy gets his leg rolled on and Basically, it happens as he's making that game-tying touchdown throw. Mm -hmm. Has to go to the medical tent. You could tell AM fans were just kind of stunned in that moment. There was this, like, all of a sudden, there's just this silence after AM ties the game against Bama. And pretty soon, reality sets in that, oh, crap, AM is going to have to turn to a walk-on in this spot because you don't have your, your true freshman, Eli Stowers, because he switched to tight end. Yep. And you're saying... You gotta walk out a guy who hasn't played any snaps. And mind and you, mind you, this is a guy. Remember whenever Calzado was struggling that bad? AM fans were like kidding, but not kidding. Like, hey, let's see what the kids got. He can't be worse than Calzado. And now <laughs> it's totally flipped, and it's like, oh no, Calzado's hurt. We're screwed. <laughs> put put Calzado back out there. We need him. Give give everybody in College Station would have given Zach Calzada their knee. It was said, I, I don't need this knee for for the next 15 minutes, whatever it's gonna take. But Bama has the three and out, and then Calzada somehow comes back in. I didn't even think he was going to come back into that game. And AM fans, I think, were at least cautiously optimistic. They're like, all right, you know, maybe they can get to overtime or something like that. But leads the game-winning drive and just made big-time throw after big-time throw. The pass interference penalty was huge as well. Um, might have been a little bit of like an underthrown ball, whatever the case. That was like not even being like not even joking. That was a heck of an acting job because your hair was a little bit. I was like, sold it. Hey, but no, no, no. But like, it's see, like I hate to say it, but that's the game. Like he turned around, he's like, oh, I gotta get this. He just goes ah. Sure. It's like I saw it happen. It's like you gotta call it. But in this in this moment, you hate it. But it's like I don't hate the guy doing it. You know what I'm saying? No, you, you absolutely have to. And um, and that, that's a veteran move in that spot. I, I'd argue that uh, that Alabama got one in its favor a little bit earlier with the the touchdown that um, was was it the, the touchdown where they A&M just left the receiver wide open, but Alabama's offensive line wasn't set. I don't know if Alabama, uh, if, if Alabama would have been stopped if all of a sudden their line was set and if A&M would have been able to have some guy over there, it should have been a legal procedure. It wasn't whatever, that's neither here nor there. But it was A&M's night. And I, I was of the impression that Bam was going to find a way up until that very last kick. And I, Will, you thought that kick was hooking, didn't you? Oh, buddy. Oh, yes, I did. That kicker <laughs> came out there and he was a chalk. He was like number 47. I was like, and we had like looked at his stats at the moment. I was like, okay, you feel okay about this. And it, it, coming off of his leg, I was like, they going to lose this game. <laughs> Wide left. Wide left. They're going to go to overtime and, and, and Bama's going to find a way to, to escape this. But that didn't happen. And AM has this unforgettable moment. And. You know, the sequence that really kind of sunk it in that this was going to be A&M's night. Maybe I, looking back on it, the, the key sequence of that game is Bama being down 14 in the second half. The offensive line is just getting shredded. Mm -hmm. And Bryce Young just looks a little bit off. He, he just looked off all night. Again, true road atmosphere. Kind of looked a little bit off at times, I thought, against Florida. But managed the game well. Didn't make those key mistakes. But... Bama gets that blocked punt for a touchdown and it turns into a mm -hmm. one score game. And you're thinking, all right, not now, now Bama is about to come back. Here comes the tide, all that. And then boom, ensuing kickoff, A-chain to the house. 
he can beat me in a race, confirmed. I gave AM so much credit for responding that way and for taking Bama's punches and for being able to rally back in some of those key spots. Because I, I, I looked at that AM team coming into this, I said, you know, second loss? Eh, you know, no offense, but wasted opportunity for Jimbo Fisher. This is Mike Elko having his best defense there so far. In this game, Mike Elko mixed up all these pressures. And that, that A&M defense got after it. Mm -hmm. And they were confusing Bryce Young. They were confusing that offensive line. They probably could have used a few of those different looks against Mississippi State or against Arkansas, but that's senior here or there. Jimbo Fisher. First Saban disciple to beat the master. That's how you earn that paycheck. That, that, mm -hmm. That's what A&M boosters come Monday morning. They're going into the office. They got the chest puffed out a little bit. They're like, yeah, that's right. I knew what I was doing. I knew what that investment was all about. Told y'all. Uh, we'll Told y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Never, Never a doubt. Remember, the 22 of 24 games against his former assistants for Saban. They were decided by 14 points or more. Bama had not even trailed in a game since 2020 Georgia. Monumental win for Jimbo, to say the least, because it goes back even to why he came to AM in the first place. Why would you want to face Bam on the regular season? Remember, that was no the idea. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Why would you do it? it sounds like something that I would not want to sign up for. Much rather would do that in the national championship. And the comments in the offseason about beating Saban's ass while he was at Alabama. You say you can't poke the bear, you can't do this, you can't do that. Jimbo called the shot. And yep. he's not going to have a season as good as Bama's probably still. But dude called his shot and delivered. And when at a time when we said, you are a fool to do that, we saw what Lane did last week. We saw how Alabama came out of the break and just looked ready to go against that old Miss offense. And it was a different story against AM. It was a totally different story. Up until that point, Jimbo was 0-4 against Saban. And listen to this. We did some of these numbers over the summer, but in case you in case you didn't necessarily write all these down or have them handy, in the previous 1,440 minutes that Saban played against his former assistants, coached, he didn't play, Saban trailed for just 160 minutes and 51 seconds. Of that time, Jimbo had led for just six minutes and 29 seconds against it, Nick Saban. It was like all Kirby too. All Kirby. Yep. So yeah, Muschamp was in second place behind Kirby in terms of time led against Saban among Saban's former assistants. Yeah. Do you remember what that number was that oh. Muschamp had led? God. Three games that he played against Saban. It was like it was something super. So it was like four minutes or something, right? Nineteen minutes and one second. Okay, which I was is not off. a lot. <laughs> I forgot there were three games. To be fair, but but think about that. That's a little over a quarter of football. Yep. Jimbo's team on Saturday led for 51 minutes and 19 seconds. That's how stunning that was. Oh. That's more than, look, th that, that is the type, like they had ball control and game control in a way that only Kirby has ever really had against Saban, mm -hmm. except Jimbo actually found a way to close it out. And he got those clutch plays when he needed them. Unbelievable when you think about that relative to the context of how lopsided Saban versus former assistants had been. What we were saying at this time last week about the way that he beat Kiffin down, this reminder that Alabama's still king, you don't poke the bear. Let's get to the Alabama side. 
Hold on real quick. The dynasty. Before you do that real quick, it's it's Fire very away. funny because it's like, okay, so someone could have called me, you know what I'm saying, on Friday and be like, hey man, Connor's getting a tattoo this weekend. And I'd be like, no, 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 that's not possible. <laughs> and and if you, <laughs> I'm going with this, if you called me today and were like, hey Will, I got a tattoo, that doesn't make me wrong. <laughs> it, it doesn't make me wrong if someone called me, you know, two days ago and was like, hey, Connor's getting a tattoo and I didn't believe it. And the thing that's crazy about this game is it's literally that. It's the fact that with Zach Calzada, who has been nothing short of a disaster until this game, you have Jimbo Fisher, who couldn't adjust just anything we talked about it over and over again he was married to this vanilla offense and you look in this game where they get this big lead and they have you know a couple three and outs and you see Bama just crawling towards them like some hell beast and it's like oh no here here goes this and then like you said Undertaker gif yep it, yeah it's just like ah and like you know like you said you have the kick return you have um you know all these different things that happen but Whenever Bama took that lead at 38-31, I was like, yeah, this is, I could probably turn this game off. Like, low-key, I was just like, they have, they've, they're playing their game, they're doing, you know, all these different things. And the fact that Jimbo and Calzada and the Texas A&M offensive line were able Unreal. to come together in that moment like the Avengers and just put Bama away is insane. Because it's like, like Bama had already, that's the thing. I don't know if I've seen Bama make that kind of a push and then fall short. Usually they'll, they'll, they'll be too far behind. They'll have something going on where it's just like, okay, boom, like we just kind of ran out of game. This was Jimbo being like, no, 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 get back in the hole, get back in the hole. <laughs> I'm I'm truly at a loss because we we are asked in this business to forecast and react what we think a game can look like and why something happened. I'm not kidding when I say that was an outlier of epic proportions. When I say that Zach Calzada was arguably the worst quarterback in the SEC during his time as a starter, I mean Zach Calzada was arguably the worst quarterback in the SEC. And the numbers showed it, the inefficiency was there. Dude couldn't move the ball against Mississippi State. Yes, or Colorado. Jimbo looked like he was completely flummoxed in calling plays for Zach Calzada. And all of a sudden, those throws that presence, that poise, that mobility, it was all there. Yeah, it just, just all like, appeared at once. Like, how, how is this not shown up in this way? And maybe it is, there's a little bit of this backs against the wall and we're gonna get to what, what, what that didn't look like for LSU, <laughs> but there's nothing, nothing that said that that was gonna happen. There just isn't, and it just goes to show you even when we have these things, we feel like we have them figured out and we pat ourselves on the back for all of the times that we're like, oh yeah, you know, we'll talk about the Georgia defense later. You know, we knew Bo Nix was gonna struggle against the Georgia defense. So we actually see these things happen. We can't etch anything in stone. We just can't. And this sport is nuts. And this year is nuts already. And it just kind of goes to show you Throw out what you think you know sometimes while you're watching a game and just be able to process what's actually happening because A&M just did something that I, I, I'm not sure I ever thought I would see during the Saban era. So let's talk about the Bama side. The dynasty is obviously dead. No, that's a joke. I'm just kidding. Shout out Dan Wolkman though because the, the last time that Alabama lost in the front half of the first uh, the, the front half of the regular season schedule was 2015. Uh, Dan Wolkman had that column come out. I said it was going to be 2014 all over again this year. 
And we might be on our way to that because everyone in the SEC West has a loss. We just got this wild upset of Alabama. I'd probably still pick Alabama to win the division if you're asking me today. Mm -hmm. Will, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, they already beat Ole Miss, so it's really just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be one thing if, if that Ole Miss game was still um, still on the, the future schedule, but I, I would still look at that and probably say that Bama's the favorite because, yeah, you're going to have that matchup against Arkansas coming up, and I support, but Arkansas is sitting there with two losses as well. A&M already has the two losses in SEC play, so it's not even like they're just a one-loss team, and they... So Bama is still probably in the driver's seat to win, which is a weird thing to say after that game and after you lose to an unranked team. And it was a totally undisciplined performance. No, they lost to Mike Leach. I'm sorry. I'm just, they, like, that's what's happened. Like, they would be leading the SEC West if they didn't lose to Mike Leach. I just, uh, what is happening? All right, continue. Week to week, we're just not going to know this division, <laughs> apparently. And it's just going to throw us for a loop, and we're going to look like idiots all the time. And we're just going to be left sitting here on a Sunday morning reacting to some of these results like, oh, Wrong again. Wrong again. My bad. Bama's Bama's undisciplined performance started with the Malachi Moore targeting penalty, where you just don't need to launch in that situation. Play is over. And I, look, I'm one of these people. I try and give the player the benefit of the doubt. Bang bang game. I, I get it. Those plays happen. But having that was was really costly to lose your your stud corner in that spot on the road where Bama needed all the defensive help it could get on a night like that. The Brian Robinson fumble was huge. Bama missed tackles in space. The offensive line was dominated all night. I mean, A&M's defensive line, we, we have spoken so highly of that group. I didn't think they would dominate Alabama like that up front. I mean, th that was not, that, that was maybe one of the more un-Alabama performances we've ever seen from a Saban coach offensive line. So what then does this mean for Bama? We have seen so far some tough moments for Bama on the road. If you thought they got outplayed in the final three quarters against Florida, and now you're piecing that together with a game where they, they trailed for the vast majority of that football game. Hostile atmospheres, yeah, that's probably got something to do with it. But they have struggled to get off the field in key spots. Pete Golding had better days. Um, Bill O'Brien as well. Bill O'Brien was trending at 11 p.m. on Saturday night, which tells you everything you need to know. Bill O'Brien and Pete Golding, the mentions that they're going to get on Feinbaum on Monday. Oh, boy. Yikes. Look forward to that. Um, Bama's far from finished product. That's what this comes down to. Bama doesn't have that switch that it thinks it has. And I mean that in a couple ways. I think I mean that on both sides of the ball, actually, because on offense, we have seen the chunk plays and how Bama can just devastate you with that 75 yard touchdown. Boom, just like that flips a game and you're, you're just left kind of wondering how in the world do you respond from a haymaker like that? Bama really doesn't have that ability with this offense yet. It hasn't figured that out. And I know that they were able to get a big day out of Jameson Williams. That was huge for them. But John Mechie ain't that dude. And he wasn't the reason they lost that game. But he's just not that dude who's going to change a football game for you like Devontae Smith did in the mm -hmm. second half against Georgia last year, like we've seen Jalen Waddell do in some of these key moments. They don't have that guy in the passing game. And it has hurt them at points. And I think that you look at this team and you say, well, vulnerability is one thing. But moving forward, if you're going to be a juggernaut and if you are going to be a, a true national championship team, 
That's the part that you've got to figure out a little bit more consistently. Still, I look at this and I just say, what a wild time to be alive. We're, <laughs> besides the fact that we're in the second week of October and everyone in the SEC West has an SEC loss, think about this. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson have a combined four losses. And we're in the second week of October, Will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? That's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen. This is kind of exactly the year that if you're on the outside looking in, college football fan, you're not one of those three fan bases. <laughs> you're like, buddy, this is this is a good time. This is a good time. I've got, so any, anything more that you took away from that before I hit on some other kind of like external things that this game impacted? So I'll say like, okay, so as like neutral college football fans, this is kind of the way that people were hoping Bama would look all year that they just haven't yet. And at the end of the day, it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, hey man, like Bama has every reason to not be perfect. Seriously, like, I mean, they have a first year starting quarterback. They have um, a first year coordinator who is just an NFL head coach. They have Pete Golding. Who's Pete Golding? So like, yeah, like they have, you know, like every other program. Like I've lied to myself over and over again about LSU. As far as like, well, you know, teams go through growing pains or whatever, and we just really haven't seen it from Bama. That's what this is, and honestly, man, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. This is what teams do. It happened to Ohio State. It's it almost happened to Oklahoma yesterday. It, it's Gosh. just this is a crazy year. So it's like, yeah, I mean, somebody was like talking about Bama fatigue in here. It's like, yeah, like. Honestly, I give Bama all the respect in the world, and it's it, I've seen every step of them dominating everyone. I'm just at a point where I, I enjoy watching other teams win. It's just good for the sport. And so it's not a hater thing. It's a, okay, well, you know, it, it's like we're watching a TV show. It's like, okay, well, now this character has a new obstacle they need to overcome. They don't have Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and Najee Harris, all, all these guys that are just you know, taking over games. It's like, okay, well, now, like, you know, it's not like it proves anything for Saban. It's not like, oh, well, Saban needs to figure this out or he's a fraud. It's like, no, like, we just kind of want to see this team bring it together. Like, we don't want to see them, you know, destroy everyone every week. We want to see more games like this that are back and forth, that we get to learn something about these guys, and maybe it's not all good. And, and, and this is one of my favorite things to sit back and say, wow, like, that game was a, uh, we had two games in the SEC that were just absurd yes. front to back. But, yes. Yeah. Zach Calzada is going to be a great answer to the trivia question and much like could be very reminiscent of, of our friend Steven Garcia with yep. the quarterbacks to beat Bama thing. I, I don't know what else Zach Calzada has in store for his career, but nobody can ever take that away from him. Nobody can ever take that night away from him. Nobody can ever take that night away from A&M fans despite what's going to happen the rest of the way. And maybe Zach Calzada isn't the guy when Haynes King is back healthy because uh, for the most part, it hasn't really been good. But that is a moment that as an A&M fan, you, you dream about. You truly dream about your team celebrating like that on, on your home field because you didn't even get to see Manziel beat Alabama on your home field. You know, that's the other crazy thing. Mm-hmm. So when you consider all of that and and I, I just think that this is what makes this sport so unique and so great is that we can have that on a given weekend and there's sometimes nothing that we can do to predict that it's going to happen. So four of the things that I think this impacts that I I thought of, the SEC's two team playoff bid is hurt. It is not dead. It's not gone because one lost Bama against unbeaten Georgia in the SEC championship, if Bama were to win that game and give Georgia its first loss, that could still yield a two-team bid from the SEC. But no longer will this be an SEC title game with both teams having locked in playoff bids. 
I, I, I think that's at least fair to say. And we have not seen that happen before. And so we're not going to see that this year. And you know, Kentucky and Georgia are going to face each other. So after next week, there's only going to be one undefeated SEC team left. Um, shout out to the person in the Kentucky band who I passed by before the start of the game who said, is Kentucky the only undefeated team remaining in the SEC? I almost said to them, just wait until you watch Bama and Georgia. That was before Bama lost that game. But Kentucky's feeling good. Kentucky, undefeated longer than Alabama. Um, just as we all predicted, Adam Stockton, we're going to get you on the pod this week. Um, going to give you your praise. Gosh. Um, okay. So other things impacted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Getting lost in spinning. the wormhole of what this weekend was. Just Is Kentucky oh. now leading? <laughs> anyway. Is Kentucky better than Alabama? No, we're not asking those questions. Cincinnati's playoff bid just improved yet again. Yep. Bearcats needed some chaos, and they are getting it. An Oklahoma loss would have added to that, but Notre Dame pulling that win out at Virginia Tech, pretty important as well for for Cincinnati. So that's something to keep in mind. We could be very well on our way to seeing the first group of five team in the playoff. Georgia is undoubtedly the number one team in America. Does that matter? Uh, Probably not a ton. Iowa is, is right is going to be right there too. Get ready for some people to argue that Iowa should be number one, even though um, as great as the Penn State win was, the other two quality wins that they had on the schedule with um, with Indiana and with Iowa State have not really aged that well. And there's an argument to be made that Iowa is like not that good. Dog, that great. game was like I, I, you were texting I, me so much during that game. It was uh, like it was such a like it was a good game. I'm not hating. It's just not the type of football we're used to seeing. It's like both coaches met at halftime of that Penn State Iowa game or before the game and they were just like can we play this game like it's 2006 and no one says anything just no RPO no motion we're just gonna like no no plays written after the Bush administration today deal yes there was either punts or interceptions that was the majority of that game those were the highlights the the nice punts and the interceptions it was Strange game. Three picks, I think, in the first 11 minutes of that game. It was, yeah, very interesting. Um, one other thing that the Bama loss impacted, Matt Corral's Heisman Trophy chances. I told you coming mm-hmm. into this week that I was not selling that by any stretch of the imagination. They are absolutely back. Wouldn't surprise me, and we'll probably know this by the time that this is out and people are listening to this, if Corral became a much, if, if he's not the favorite, gosh, it's gotta be really, really close with he and Bryce Young. Even though, yes, Bryce Young technically outplayed Matt Corral. Matt Corral has been the better quarterback start to finish this year so far. Dual threat, Let's Matt go Corral. To, dual threat, Matt Corral. Let's go to that game. Because for about, and this just tells you everything you need to know about how nuts Saturday was. Because for about 20 minutes, I thought that was Arkansas Ole Miss was the game of the year in college football. Mm -hmm. And then Oklahoma, Texas happened. And then Alabama A&M happened. So whatever the case, it was still incredibly entertaining. You know how you know a game is worth the the entertainment value and, and is just as good as it gets is when... I was watching that game with my family and none of us had any rooting interest whatsoever in that game. And we're all on the edge of our seats for that two point conversion. That's how good that game was and how back and forth it was. I know it didn't work. How about the balls on our guy, Sam Pittman? Oh yeah. To make that call in that spot, held up the two immediately. Before you even like, 
They score that touchdown there, and it was a nice, it was a beautiful touch pass by KJ Jefferson, who played his tail off and did not deserve to lose that game. But you, by the time they showed Sam Pittman on the sideline, he's not celebrating. All he's got the is two. the number two up in the air. This is a guy who is in like what his fifteenth game, sixteenth game as a head coach. And he knew in that spot exactly what he was going to do. And I know it didn't work and you could criticize the play calling. I thought Kendall Bryles called an incredible game up until that moment. Mm-hmm. Will, I don't know if we can share the text that you sent me during that game. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the G-rated version of it. They call yeah. it a play, man. So I have like idiosyncrasies about football. We talked about the 55 defense. One of them is a pistol formation. If you run the pistol formation, I love you. I don't care. It's, it's one of the coolest things in the world to me. And um, Kendall Bryles called this play that was a fake left halfback dive that rolled into a right speed option so basically their back was in the in the pistol behind uh, kj jefferson and they made it seem like they were just doing a basic like hb dive like left and they both like yeah. spun around and ran right into an option and it was like a 30 yard gainer whenever kj pitched it and i was like I love this. I was like, hire, hire Kendall Bryles immediately as LSU's head coach. This is insane. Like, the fact, yes. like, because it had the whole defense sucked in. They changed directions. One guy had KJ, and then he pitched it. It was like, you can't stop that. You just can't. It's beautiful. And some of these run game concepts were, were great. And KJ, man, that kid, that kid has impressed me mm-hmm. in so many ways. And I, I thought he was going to be a bit of a liability when throwing the ball at certain times this year. But he was so, so fun to watch. I said early in that game that the loser of this game was going to feel really bummed and not worthy of having that second SEC loss. And unfortunately for Arkansas, that, that's reality. After that game, they struggled to stop the run big time. Allowed over 300 on the ground. I think Grant Morgan would look back on that game and say, man, we, we, we have to be better than that. They got beat up up front by that dominant Ole Miss ground game. I want to see Snoop Connor get 25 carries a game mm-hmm. because that dude explodes through the hole. I think he's SEC West Chris Rodriguez. I'm going to squat on that take. Very mm-hmm. similar vibes to the their running style and the way that they get going. But he was fun to watch. It seemed like he was busting a big run every time you look up. But really, a better Arkansas defense than the one that we saw last year could not stop Matt Corral. And that says more about Matt Corral than it does about Arkansas's defense because that was the dragon that he had to slay. I know we talk about, you know, Alabama and whatever. Matt Corral already lit up Alabama, all right? Like that wasn't, we've seen him on that level. But when you throw six interceptions against a team, it's different. And you could tell what that game meant to Matt Corral. After the game, he finds his dad in the stands. He goes up, he hops up in there, he daps him up. And he's, you know, he, he's celebrating that win because that was hard fought. And that that was something that he heard about nonstop. And I... I praised him all offseason for being so direct about drop eight coverage. And it was the obvious weakness. And he was unbelievable. I, I really don't even think the box score did it justice because he ends up with just a little bit under, you know, nearly, he ends up with nearly 400 yards of total offense, four touchdowns. And he had this one bulldozing run that got called back on a hold that was a little bit borderline, but you still see some of the ability. He is just always in such control. And now in this offense, it just always seems like he makes the right decisions. Like you're never like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't don't make that throw. Don't make that throw. Everything is confident. It is within the flow. It is being able to try and get that extra yardage. He can beat you with speed. He can beat you with toughness. He can beat you with finesse. 
efficient, 13.7 yards per attempt. He was content to take the checkdowns against that drop eight coverage, that throw at the end to win it. Ole Miss needed mm -hmm. a go-ahead drive. A minute 22 left, and they're saying on the broadcast nonstop. Oh, by the way, did you know KJ Jefferson is from the state of Mississippi? And then he grew up 20 miles from Oxford. Thanks, Joe Tess, for telling us that probably, what, 60 times in that game? Whatever. Um, also, it's the bounce back bowl, in case you haven't heard that another 70 times. Don't know why they keep needing to go there, but um, okay, whatever. Um, anyways, Ole Miss needs that go-ahead drive, and they have a minute 22 left. Corral gets the ball back, and they're talking about how it's one of those games where the last team with the ball is going to win this football game. <laughs> they can just bleed the clock out, kick a field goal. There were 13 more points scored from that boy. <laughs> Crazy. Ole Miss needed a whopping 15 seconds to score that go-ahead touchdown. Braylon Sanders, double move, 68 yards, gone. That throw wasn't into some tight window. That might not necessarily crack the NFL draft film, whatever. But miss that. Miss that throw in that spot, and you're kicking yourself all week. Oh, but the third, uh, our boy, uh, it's not Reese. It's John Rice Plumley, Dude, him and Reese Hoskins, yes. every time my brain implodes, every time I think of one of their names. The third of yes, John, uh, John Rice, Rice. Plumley, so nasty. <laughs> he, like, dropped it in a bucket for him as he was falling out. I was like, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> and that play where he's like, did wait, he tiptoed out of bounds. He established himself back inbounds. Matt Corral just makes NFL throws after NFL throws. And the fact that PFF had him as the number three quarterback in the country behind Spencer Rattler, who got freaking benched on Saturday. Dude, our Spencer Rattler is actually a terrible take. It's just, it's a great day for us. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh gosh. <laughs> I, Matt Corral is the best quarterback in America right now. Oh yeah. And you can't convince me otherwise. You, you just can't. I, anybody who, and I still have people tweeting at me like, oh, I don't really get the Matt Corral hype. What? Okay, so you're just you're just telling on yourself. You just you're telling on yourself that you haven't watched him play football because he's he's incredible. And I know that game had shades of 2020 because we talked about how defense is back this year, and that was a game where defense was not back. The tackling was not very good. The defense, offensive line Texas, dominated. Not back. <laughs> <laughs> you're not the first person to have that. Somebody else had that on Saturday, right? I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that game. I just, I look at, at Corral and the improvements that he has made, and I'm amazed. I, I, I am, I'm absolutely amazed. He is so fun, so fun to watch. Great win for Ole Miss. Kiffin was not pleased with his team's defensive performance, and all of a sudden it felt like Ole Miss. Uh, speaking of things that are 2020 all over again, that Ole Miss defense, can they flirt with mediocrity? They did not flirt with mediocrity in that game. If there's a better play call on that two-point conversion at the end of the game, although at the same time, for Arkansas fans who were frustrated by that, that exact play worked earlier in the game when they got Trey Knox in space, and it was this great little concept, but there was adjustments to be made. And that's exactly what happened. And when you've already seen a look once within a game, sometimes you make those adjustments. Tough loss for Arkansas, but y'all have a great team. You really do. And you have a team that's worthy of being in the top 25. You are competing in games that it doesn't just feel like a fluke. You deserve to be here. You deserve to be in the conversation for one of the better teams in college football. I, I truly believe that. I'm so excited for the future of KJ Jefferson. The fact that this guy technically is in, he after this season could have three years of eligibility left. I just realized that because redshirted 2019 played in a free year in 2020. Mm -hmm. And now he is a redshirt sophomore. There's a lot of, he's got the Connor Basilak thing. Like technically he's, he'd be considered a redshirt freshman. Um, 
But anyways, that game was so fun. And it was <laughs> maybe my favorite game of the college football calendar. It delivered in and the news slate mm-hmm. was bananas. Mm-hmm. It was so crazy. Yeah, I Imagine still think that was a game of the year. And, and like you were talking about with late in the defense, it's like, yeah, like you said, they scored what, like 15 seconds. And it's like, all right, guys, all we need is like not a touchdown here. And you know, they were just sitting there like, come on, guy, we have 52 points. Like, what do you want us to do? Like, you know, he was furious yeah. as defensive coordinator because it's like, dude, this Arkansas defense was phenomenal all year. They shredded them in a way that they'll never be shredded again, probably. And it was just like, can y'all just get a stop, dog? One. And that's what they did. And credit to them on that two-point conversion because that was that was the difference in that game. But that, that game delivered, man. That, that was so fun. I, this week, I'm going to just have to find time to watch the replay of that game. Mm-hmm. And just make sure because that that is if you are watching that game without a rooting interest, man, that uh, that delivered in every possible way. Real quick, we were we were talking about this earlier, but it's like there's such a clear defining line of modern college football offenses and kind of like legacy college football offenses. These are two mm-hmm. offenses that know exactly their personnel. They know exactly who they have on the roster. They don't lie to themselves. They say, all right, we got KJ Jefferson. He's a guy who's best as a dual threat. We, he can run some trick ration. He can run some options. He can run some motions. He has a great like cerebral brain when it comes to making those types of decisions, but we don't want to give him the exact freedom that uh, Matt Corral has. We want to get him like one, two read, take off type of offense. You have Matt Corral where it's like, all right, dude, somebody's going to be open. We're going to spread this team out so much. You're going to find the guy. You're going to make the right read in space over and over and over yep. and over again. And if we give you enough of those decisions, you're going to make them right enough to we're going to bury teams. And like, yeah, I mean, this is just masterful on both sides. It was a chess match. And, and, and the fact that Matt Corral had more rushing yards than KJ Jefferson in this game and KJ Jefferson more passing yards than Matt Corral is bonkers, right. dog. It was it was great watching these guys go back and forth. If Matt Corral is the star of the SEC this year, KJ Jefferson is the breakout star. Oh yeah. And he he is well on his way and his ceiling is higher than what I initially gave him credit for. Man, these these guys are, are these guys are going to be a problem to defend for the rest of the year. They really are because we saw what they're capable of and even though these defenses had rough days, I don't think these defenses are particularly bad. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Yeah. I think Ole Miss's defense does some things that are so much better than last year and tackling in space. It wasn't just like every single time Arkansas touched the football, they didn't know how to tackle in space. One, one last thing. One last, last thing. Traylon Burks, the consecutive 37-yard catches that he had in this game, where KJ just finds him on the sideline, they just throw it up to him. If you have not watched Traylon Burks play football yet, I recommend it. Yeah. Big fan. Big, big fan. And he is... His his hands they they're gonna show that graphic that's the that's the over under that we need to do every single time they're gonna show you his hands and how they're bigger than Odell Beckham Jr.'s but not quite as big as Shaq's that's how big those mittens are <laughs> oh, I love Traylon Burks I love that game I want that game to be something that we I want a type of game like that every single week in the SEC that'd be awesome a game that was not like that LSU Kentucky come on man. I'm going to get to the Coach O part of this in a minute. I promise. It was my first time ever at Kroger Field for a game. Electric atmosphere. Kentucky fans are fired up, and they should be. Uh, you couldn't even like get to the stadium. They had so many roads that were closed. Sellout crowd. 
I had such a great experience all weekend. Shout out to Kentucky's media relations staff. They have been so kind to me over the years. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that is shown with the work that we do here when we have Will Levis or Wandell Robinson uh, on the pod, you know, back when we first were having cash on the pod, Stoops, whoever it is. I was in Lexington working, and I'm still in Lexington, like I said, working on two features for SDS. And I am really, really pumped about these stories to be able to, to, to share them. I was also able to spend some time with my brother and his wife, seeing their new house in Lexington. Lauren flew in on Friday night. My mom was already driving in with her boyfriend, and then we surprised them by being here, which was a really cool moment. Um, especially considering how, how few times I've been able to to see my mom since the start of the pandemic. And mm -hmm. it, it was a weekend that I'll never forget in so many ways and it'll always hold a special place in my heart. You know, we talk about like the 2019 weekend that, that Marlon and I had at LSU. And, and this weekend has just been, it, it has really meant a lot to me. Um, also, getting to spend so much time with Tom, Jordan and Cole was a blast. I got to listen to their live feed. So even during commercials, I could hear them going back and forth, which I wish I could share all the things that they talked about. But I was sitting there in the press box, just like laughing out loud at those guys. They are so, so funny. And I'm sure I had people looking at me like, dude, what are you doing? Cause they, they couldn't hear that, that ex like th that feed, that back and forth with the dry sense of humor. But it, it was quite the time, and I am just so grateful that I got to spend it here the way that I did. As for the game, <laughs> total domination. Kentucky just punched LSU in the mouth. Mm -hmm. Never mind the fact that LSU was 14-1 and coming off a loss against Ed Ogeron. Did not matter. It all started with that forced fumble on the opening drive. You get Josh Paschal was taking up multiple guys and then you get the backside blitz you force the fumble and there were kentucky was just playing at a different speed than lsu mm -hmm. and kentucky wanted it more than lsu um and it was it, it did not feel particularly close it felt like kentucky could have scored more it felt like kentucky could have won that game by even more than it actually did if they had kept their foot on the gas a little bit more maybe stuck with the run game adam stockton we're gonna have you on this week because the cats are six and oh first time since 1950. Didn't rush the field. I was with uh, ESPN's PR director, Amanda Brooks, who was just so accommodating all weekend. Um, and we were debating if, if Kentucky fans were gonna rush the field because there were some of them that were kind of forming, at, you know, they were coming down a little bit. We were kind of looking around. The police are set up there on the field. And I was, I was like, I don't think they're gonna rush the field because they were favored in this game. And last week was so different with the, the not having beaten Florida at home since 1986. And Kentucky was and is just the better football team. And yeah, I mean, LSU, sorry. I mean, That's the thing. If this was a good LSU team, definitely run yeah. the field. But it's like, we can't get play calls in, dog. Like, don't hurt yourself out there for being Jake Peets. Ed <laughs> O'Dron, oh, yeah. And some of the things about the play calling, too, it's weird because they – the 2019 and this was a great point that cole brought up on the broadcast about how in 2019 with joe brady it was a a look back offense and they would look back to the sideline and try and get the the play call in and this year oh is saying no i i want you to be able to get the play and go i don't want you to be able to react to the coverage just have confidence in it and get the playoff but the problem is is that they're actually not doing enough window dressing before the snap they're not bringing a running back in motion they're not trying to figure out if they're in zone or in man and that really has hurt this offense and sometimes you're, you're making these reads where it looks like max johnson is having to process this while a play is 
developing and that can sometimes slow him down and that's a difficult thing to do with an offense that is as one-dimensional as LSU is. Didn't help that Ed Otron after this game said he was surprised Kentucky's ground game was so good. Why do we keep Got putting it. microphones in front of Coach O? That's our fault as a society. <laughs> stop. Embarrassing. He just can't stop saying the wrong thing. Or doing the wrong Chris thing. Rod- or just being in the wrong place. Or just really just existing incorrectly, I guess, is what he's doing. Dude is just taking L's after L's after L's. Chris Rodriguez was leading the SEC in rushing, and not by a particularly close margin either. Kentucky was without Josh Ali, who is their number one outside receiver. Wandell, of course, their number one receiver overall. But how did you not know that they were going to run the football? (laughs) I mean, goodness gracious. We saw the way that it played out, and Will Levis had one of these runs where you're just like, oh, he is just imposing his will against LSU, and he looks like hell to tackle right now. Hearing some of this chat. Yeah. Kentucky was bananas. <laughs> he was imposing his will of us. Anyway, go on. There we go. Kentucky dominated that game. And after the way that things played out and hearing some of this chatter, I'll say this. So we're recording this 1033 a.m. Sunday morning. There is a decent chance that you, person at home, in your car, wherever you are listening to this, by the time that you're listening to this, it is a very realistic possibility that Ed Ogeron will no longer be the coach of LSU football. He is now 8-8 eight and eight since winning it all. He's got a team that is going to be without Keishon Butte, who was carted off the field. Kind of a weird play where he put uh, the way that it, the weight fell. It looked like it, at first you're like, oh, is it an ankle? Maybe it's an Achilles thing. Derek Stingley probably done for the year. It just looks like a lost football team. Offensive line still in shambles. This is indeed... 2020 all over again and we've gone kind of back and forth on that take will um as we again time will tell if this is going to be the case but as of 10 34 on sunday morning do you think ed odron has coached his last game at lsu man i mean it's that that game was total domination, man. Uh, just just to be honest with you, that game was total. Like if it had been a situation where they came in and they were like a three point dog, and it was like, okay, uh, you know, you lost by four, you lost by one, you're really stuck in there. But you're right. I mean, from from the forced fumble to the end of the game, um, yeah, there was never they didn't have any life in them. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like I personally feel like the run game actually kind of got a little bit better this week, and it just didn't matter. And it's that's the see when you're a bad football team, you find new ways to be bad. So good football teams find new ways to be good. We saw that in 2019, where it's like, oh, this thing doesn't work. Oh, here's this other random thing we're good at. Here it's like, oh, okay, well now we can kind of run the ball. We're not averaging two yards a carry anymore. Okay, well we're just gonna totally forget how to play defense. Our linebackers are gonna continue to look lost. Uh, Max is gonna just regress to the mean terribly, and it's like. Yeah, it's 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 like I said last week with um, it's like oh we we held Tank Bigsby. It's like he's still lost, and it's like oh we we kind of get the ground game going. You're still lost. And it's like yeah, they're 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 a sailless ship, rudderless ship, wandering through the bayou, just hoping that they get put out of their misery. And it's it's tough. I think that you know, like you said, going into this game to think that Kentucky was favored, ranked LSU was this looked like a basketball school. LSU looked like a basketball school. They looked like they were honored to be on the same field as Kentucky, and Kentucky just beat the stew out of them. 
And that's sad to see as an LSU fan. You're two years removed from this greatest season of all time. Coach O has made excuses. You know what? That's the crazy thing. Coach O doesn't even really make excuses. He just says things are his fault. And it's like, buddy, yes, they sure are. <laughs> like, I, okay, like, be be better. Be smarter. Don't tell me things are your fault. Like, I, I'm all for accountability, but it's like, so this just means you can't figure this out. So, yeah, I, I think... I mean, if they make the move now, I'm not going to doubt them or judge them because, yeah, I was one of the staunchest defenders of Coach O, and boy, I hope people don't go back and find that. But I, I was just like, yeah, I, I, I'm out. There's nothing. You can't build from this abyss that we're in. If you were just saying, hey, the guy won a national championship two years ago, I, I try and preach patience, and I think that we are often reactionary. But the dynamic that I can't help but think about is Scott Woodward, who was on that sideline. Yeah on Saturday. Scott Woodward, meanwhile, is probably checking his phone during that, seeing, oh my God, A&M's about to beat Alabama? A&M is about to beat Alabama? How in the world am I sitting here watching this team who two years ago was this juggernaut, this force that couldn't be touched, and I'm sitting here at Kentucky, and my team is getting blown off the field. My coach has not had the best week in terms of responses and you know say what you will about the the fishing hole comment whatever <laughs> with the the call-in show just bizarre to see some of that stuff play out i'm not going to sit here and beat up coach o for that but you look at the situation if you're scott woodward and i don't know what it's what it would take in terms of firing him with cause and we're, we're maybe we get more context about that later in the week with how, how the logistics of that would even look but it looked like a lost football program and i don't know where the answers come from because you can't just point to the pandemic can't just point to opt-outs. Mm-hmm. Can't just point to one position. It's everywhere, man. It is everywhere. And LSU is a shell of its former self. And LSU is very well on its way to having its second year in the 21st century without eight wins. Last year was the first, of course. And uh, I, I think that more so than ever, I am selling the belief that Coach O is going to be LSU's football coach after the 2021 season. Just don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, just don't think it's gonna happen. The thing that's crazy is like you know you can say say what you want about Les Miles. There's a ton you can say bad about Les Miles. Not defending him oh as boy. a human being, but uh, LSU had this brand forever that I kind of got got to grow up with, which is just they don't lose like out of conference games in the regular season. They like take care of business. If they basically just out talented, not physical teams, and you've seen under Coach O all of these streaks come to an end. You've seen the Troy game. You've seen the streak against Auburn. You've seen like. All, you know, everything that you can kind of hold on to and say this is our identity as an LSU football program, running the ball. Like, it's almost like he made a list of like, here's what LSU fans love. And it was like, let me set all this on fire on the way out. So it's like, I can't defend him. I really can't because, it, the, you, can't, you know, you, we could talk about his wins against these big teams and these good teams. And he's done that. But it's like, he, he literally like, like you said, this roster looks like an emaciated, like, like it looks like it caught some type of disease and is just losing things. And it's like the, these big physical LSU linemen, like the pictures we've seen of T-Bob and his boys, it's like, that's not there anymore. These like defensive backs that like, I mean, we have a couple on the team, but it's like the, these, these like swaggy defensive backs that would like knock the mess out of you, that had pride in the LSU defense. These linebackers that were like these dogs, like, we're missing all of it. And you know what? Like the sad thing is the recruiting classes have been fine. The development has been atrocious. So someone, like you said, you talked about Scott Woodward, Scott Woodward and he's done a great job. Again, character issues aside, he's done a great job about hiring people at LSU. And I'm just excited to see who is the insane person he brings in that wins football games because that's where we're at right now. 
that is where we're at. And we're also on the verge of seeing unbeaten Kentucky facing unbeaten Georgia pseudo SEC East Championship game. Let's get to that team right there. The Georgia Bulldogs were on the road facing Auburn and Deep South's oldest rivalry. Auburn won by virtue of scoring an offensive touchdown against Georgia's first team defense. So that was cool. And that run from Tank Bigsby was comical. It was the fact that that was the first touchdown allowed by Georgia's first team defense was so fitting because Tank was totally stopped on that play and he had to bounce it outside to get to the end zone. Um, very, very fitting that that it took a heroic effort essentially for for Auburn to be able to to just score a touchdown. That Georgia defense, it's still just so good. Even though Kirby said he thought that they looked tired, which is ironic considering they the, never beaten the stew out of people is what they're tired of <laughs> right like they, they never play in the fourth quarter they, they always <laughs> rotate guys in i i don't know um whatever take that for what it is tank's longest run of the day was six yards bonix yes if you saw the end of that game you saw him try to pull off the play that he did against lsu and at first you're like oh man oh man something about to happen and then Jalen carter at 300 pounds was out of position to make a tackle and still brought him down like it was no big deal. But we talked about this very thing and I'm so glad it happened. Yes. We talked about that very thing. Please try that against Georgia. It would warm my heart. And it did not work. Turns out you can't exactly um, force six missed tackles on one play against Georgia. That's the difference. And I want to get to the the Bo Nix officiating thing in a, in a second here, but I, I do want to say that Stetson Bennett played excellent, and I loved the looks in Todd Munkin's offense to your boy Lad McConkey, your favorite player. Just saying Lad on a given Saturday when he busts a big play is just fun. I like that they actually let Stetson Bennett air it out a bit because mm -hmm. they use play action so effectively. I love what they're doing with McConkey and with Brock Bowers as well, taking some of these downfield shots. It's not just dink and dunk, pray that the running game takes care of business. They actually were putting some air under the ball. Let's talk about though the officiating because Bo Nix, not a fan. <laughs> Um, was he wrong to be upset about the non-call on the defensive pass interference in the end zone? No. Was he wrong to say we never get those calls and that if it were Georgia, Georgia would always get that that play? Listen, if there's one thing I know favorite. about the University of Georgia football team is that they get all the lucky breaks. <laughs> it's easy to say. In Auburn... And Auburn never gets, never gets any breaks. breaks. I think he's read this one out in his typical Bo Nix fashion. Diagnose this play, run it correctly. Micro perspective says, all right, yeah. Macro perspective says, did you think about what you said there? Um, not to, look, I get it. Players frustrated after a game. That was a huge play in that yeah. game. Let's, let's call it what it is. It was defensive pass interference. It was. It, it, it was. That was a missed call. If I've ever seen one, you have to be able to make that call in that spot. There are Georgia fans who would have been frustrated to see that call, but at the same time, pass interference was not called the same way on both sides. Is Auburn winning that football game? No. No. They, they just weren't. They weren't. And I know that was a big play. I, I know. Trust me. I know that was a big play. They're not winning that football game still. Bonix left throws out there. His receivers didn't really help him out a lot in the first half. 
I thought that was a big issue, and they couldn't get those those big running play those big running play gains that you would need to beat a team of Georgia's caliber. Georgia's clearly the number one team in America right now. I thought they were the number one team in America entering the weekend. Not really up for debate. And we're well, we're we're like a Kentucky win away from this truly being 2007 all over again. I'll tell you one way it's not like 2007. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Jaded LSU fan on a Sunday morning. Listen, I've been happy all day. I'm just you know, but it's it's not like 2014. Hopefully not that one either. Okay, continue. <laughs> what are the chances? that Georgia has a letdown against Kentucky because if you had asked me going into this weekend, I would have said, look, and I'm still, look, <clears throat> spoiler alert, I'm picking Georgia to win that football game. <laughs> All right. The opening line for that game that I saw like last week was 24 and a half. Okay. Kentucky overcomes that. That would be incredible. And I just gave you all that rhetoric about how when it comes to A&M and Bama, sometimes we can have these things figured out in so many ways. And then things happen within the confines of a 60 minute football game that we just can't quite explain. Maybe that'll happen next Saturday. And maybe this is skewing my perspective of this because I think Georgia has a, a an obvious advantage in that matchup. And I think it's gonna be really tough sledding for the Kentucky offense. Will, what would you give percentage wise the chance to Kentucky to pull off the upset. We'll see like positionally, like so the problem with that is that like Kentucky, if they're playing their best, is running with Chris Rodriguez and like Georgia's run defense, I mean they're not gonna all like catch scurvy. You know what I'm saying? Like I just I, I don't wanna be like after that Bama game, I don't want to be closed minded, but it's like and maybe they open it if they open it up and they almost like do like the inverted thing where they're like okay no we're gonna make you we're gonna beat you through the air and then we're gonna use Chris Rodriguez and like draw plays and like try to get you off I, maybe that could work but just the way that yeah. Kentucky is built to beat teams up they're built the same that's the problem they're built the same and one has a bunch of five stars and like it's just I hate to make it that easy but that's essentially kind of what happened to Arkansas yeah and I don't know if it matters if it sets in better energy to Daniels in that one because as much as we have fun with Setson Bennett, but do we're going to look up he's, Connor and he's going to be like Georgia's all time leading passer in a couple of years. Gosh, I, I don't think he's quite getting to Aaron Murray, who was on the call on that broadcast. And I think Auburn fans are pretty frustrated with him. Weird spot that they put him in there to, to call that game. Um, I, I like Aaron. We've had, we've had him on the pod many a time, but you're kind of setting yourself up for that criticism because if he says anything positive about Georgia, I thought Aaron Murray actually said some really positive things about, about Bo Nix and some of the things that he was doing in that game, but you're kind of setting yourself up for that criticism. Kind of a weird, strange move by CBS to do that. You don't necessarily need to. You've got more than enough talent to be able to kind of fill in in that spot in a day where they had the two CBS games, of course, and go figure that we were going into the day saying, oh man, I bet CBS is really regretting that they took that Bama A&M game. And then of course, that happens. So wrong again. Anyway, <laughs> you're wrong again, Ernie. If anybody can <laughs> name that movie, oh man, I'll be super impressed. I don't think anybody can. Um, all right, let's go to one thing I liked. Vandy, Florida. Um, not a ton that I really want to get to with this game because it was ugly. Not maybe the best performance out of Florida out of the gates, but the one thing I liked was that Emory Jones had a bounce back game. Um, it definitely wasn't Vandy's kicking game that I liked, but yeah, 0 for 3 on kicks, all of which were 41 yards or less, not ideal. Field goals weren't mattering in that game, but yeah, that was pretty pretty much the story of, of Vandy's day. 
Uh, Emory Jones, though, was confident, stepped up in the pocket, worked the middle of the field, got the backs involved in the passing game. I love the recognition. Damian Pierce in the seam makes that throw, a throw that we look at from the view that we have on TV and we think is super easy and it's wide open, but the way that you kind of have to recognize the linebacker, you have to put the ball at the perfect height, you have to be able to make that happen. We saw Max Johnson kind of struggle with a really similar throw in that spot. And to the naked eye, when you're watching it from that TV perspective, sometimes you just think that, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a throw that you have to be able to make every single time if you're a quarterback. It's a little bit trickier than we give it credit for. Damian Pierce, needs to be involved even more. I think Florida fans would probably agree with that, but the running backs involved in the passing game was a good sign for Florida. Emory also played well while Anthony Richardson didn't. Somewhat quietly, Anthony Richardson hasn't totally been great since returning from injury. He had a pick on that play where it looked like it was like a broken play on a screen. I don't know what that was, but he was throwing back across his body and just an unnecessary play where you kind of get reminded that he doesn't quite have those reps just yet. Um, but it wasn't really to anyone he was picked off. How about Dan Mullen at halftime? <laughs> this is bro, this of people. Of playbook, I don't want to give this. I don't want to give this game any credence because it's just so, so straight out of the playbook. Oh, we, we lose Kentucky. Oh, we're playing Vandy next week. And it's some future investment bankers, so we're gonna come out here and make it seem like we're this accountable team now. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Against the investment bankers, we're gonna all we're gonna be mean to our guys. Sorry, go. <laughs> there was. There, it definitely felt like some overcompensating <laughs> for that because, if, in case you missed it, Dan Mullen at halftime is asked about the play of his quarterbacks. Play better. And then he's asked about his defense, who had played 50 snaps, but didn't allow a point because, again, Vandy's kicking game was not very good. And Mullen just says, awful. And then it's straight to the halftime locker room, um, which people say oftentimes, who are those halftime interviews for? Why me. do we really do them? <laughs> they're for me. They're for us. They're for you. <laughs> they're for me. They're for all of us who sometimes just want that one soundbite and just get a little bit of that insight as to what a coach is thinking. Yeah, probably Mullen trying to show uh, after that first half that maybe he was a little bit more frustrated after he was criticized for having a smile on his face, going to shake Mark Stoops' hand after losing to, to Kentucky. But whatever the case, Florida LSU is gonna be weird. <laughs> it's gonna be really, really weird. Looking forward Steven's to- Steven Zwinger coached Florida versus LSU. <laughs> um, what are the odds? National champions as coordinators, people forget. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Hey, Steve Ensminger, he's got those interim coach vibes. We're gonna keep singing those praises. Remember, what was it, what was it like that tie that Steve Ensminger wore to his opening press conference, or was it the blazer? He wore like a tiger plaid, like a uh, like this. It wasn't like a Zubas. Um, <laughs> it was pretty it was close. Like that. It was pretty close. Yeah, that's the best way I describe it. If Steve Ensminger is is uh, interim coach, he needs to wear that every single time he's on the sidelines. Um, as, as the interim coach. All right, South Carolina, Tennessee. One thing I liked, Josh Heupel destroying a bad team again. And South Carolina fans, <laughs> that's what your team is. It's not good. It's sorry at this point. And um, we like Shane Beamer. We think better days are ahead. Year one, rough. All is right in the world when Josh Heupel beats up on a bad team. We oh, said yeah. that it's feeling it's like brand. 2014 all over again. That, that is the brand. Maybe it feels a little <laughs> bit more like 2017 all over again, because if you give Josh Heupel a matchup against inferior competition, he's going to light you up just like he did when he was the offensive coordinator at Mizzou. Jokes aside, and I don't want to take away from Tennessee, because we're going to have a, a massive showdown next week against Ole Miss. And if you do it against Ole Miss, we're having a different conversation about Josh Heupel in year okay. one. Okay, that's going to be a fun game. 
Yes, it will. Lane reunion. Looking forward to that. I think I'm falling in love with Hendon Hooker. <laughs> Is it weird to say I think I'm falling in love with a hooker? Probably shouldn't say that. Hendon Hooker. Shout out Hugh Freeze. Whoa. <laughs> Didn't think we were going there on a Sunday morning, but here we are. <laughs> Headed Hooker, he made this throw to Devontae Payton, where it looks like it's going to be maybe this little sweep toss. Maybe it's a design run. Maybe it's going to be some sort of throwback screen. And it's kind of like this design. Maybe it was like a, it could have looked like a design rollout. Whatever the case, it almost looks like a play that you would run when you're, when you're on the opposing team's five-yard line and you're trying to stretch them out, you're trying to get everybody moving to the right, and you're seeing what you have in the end zone, get that one little bit of separation to find the, 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 the tight end coming across the backside, whatever it was. The corner on the far side peeked into the backfield one second too long, like one second too long, and don't you know it, Peyton gets this, se- this step of separation, and Hooker lets him come under the throw into the end zone in stride for a touchdown. And Tennessee fans had to be looking at that thinking, hey, that's what it's supposed to look like. Will, you texted me in the first quarter of this one. It was pretty amazing to see Tennessee jump out to a 28 to nothing lead as a 10 point favorite. But looking back, I actually don't think it was really that surprising knowing what we know about the Tennessee offense and the Carolina and the South Carolina defense because this game made sense in a lot of ways there. And look, South Carolina's defense has had some really good moments and they've kind of bailed them out with some of the, with some of the you know, defensive scores and all that. I think they had three defensive touchdowns on the year, whatever it is. Um, but did, you, did it surprise you to see Tennessee look that good out of the gates early when everybody patted them on the back after, after what they did against Mizzou? Um, not necessarily because I think it looked very similar to how Mizzou works. It's what we've talked about. Like they like okay. So when I joke about Dead Mullen, that's how Josh Heupel actually is. Like you give him a team that is like not as fast as him, it's over from the whistle. It's like okay, boom, we're gonna beat you to sleep. And like yeah, honestly, in the SEC East, there's kind of enough of those teams where he could be pretty successful and be knocking on the door of like that next echelon. I mean, again, he's really impressed us in year one. I I can't you know what I'm saying the it, the Florida game was really tough we can say that but so far he's kind of been one of the more promising year one coaches yeah as South Carolina's offense is bad and they look worse when they fall behind like that I know there are a lot of people frustrated with the game plan from Marcus Satterfield Kevin Harris really couldn't get going a whole lot in this one but I think now the question we're kind of wondering is like what's what's Tennessee's upside who's Tennessee capable of beating on a given day because with Jeremy Pruitt, they didn't have that type of upside. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can score against Alabama and Georgia or if it's kind of what it looks like with past Josh Heupel offenses where against elite teams who actually have dudes who can handle the tempo when it has a little bit of balance, then if it forces them into being one-dimensional and they fall behind and it's kind of ugly, I don't know. We're going to see. But Tennessee is figuring out its offensive identity. That's a good place to be right now. LSU doesn't have an offensive identity. Tennessee absolutely Where did that come from? I wasn't here looking at Tennessee stats. Come on, man. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I can't wait for the game next week. Lane reunion in Knoxville. It's going to be awesome. Both of these teams winning is only going to add juice to it. And they're, they're feeling really good about both their teams right now. Hey, and remember what Josh Heupel says. If you're juiceless, you're useless. Amen, brother. Amen. Josh Heupel against Jeff Levy. Little reunion there as well. 
that's going to be kind of lost in the shuffle. But great, great matchup. Looking forward to that one. Not the best matchup in the SEC this week. I'll briefly hit on this one. One thing I liked from Mizzou uh, beating North Texas. We got a big man touchdown. Will. Who yeah. Oh, shout out KJ Jefferson on that touchdown run, too. I should have said that earlier, dude. That was a thick boy coming. But yeah, love, love a big man touchdown. Superman. We're not going to make Cam Newton comparisons to KJ Jefferson. That was Cam Newton-esque, that run. I'll mm-hmm. just say that. The defensive line for Mizzou, which has been criticized a ton, they lose their position coach. They weren't necessarily good in this game, but hey, they had a bright moment. Ball gets tipped by a Mizzou defensive lineman, and then it's right into the breadbasket of Makai Wingo. Rumbled 40 yards for the score. I don't think we had an official time on his 40, but I can't imagine it was sub six. Maybe maybe dipping into the six five range. Um, off the bust off the stopwatch for that. <laughs> Missouri's defense is still bad. It's still really bad. Allowing 35 at home to North Texas, playing as poorly as it did in the second half, not great. Um, but I think that you are at least, if you're Mizzou at this point, you're just like, whatever. Just find ways to get to get victories. It's not about covering spreads. Still can't cover spread. Still, still not capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the Dan Mullen standard, North Texas actually deserved to win because the mean green, not the big green, the mean green, they led in total yards, 493 to 474. So take that hang for what it is. If Tyler, hang the banner right now. Um, count that as a win for North Texas. If Tyler Beatty ever gets hurt, Mizzou's going to be in real trouble. <laughs> real trouble. He was excellent. He's awesome. He's so fun to watch. But again, for now, you'll just take a win any way you can get it. You know your defense doesn't really have a whole lot of reinforcements. Uh, This is setting up to be one and done for Steve Wilkes this year. Don't necessarily think they're going to find the answers. All right. Other big takeaways from the weekend in college football. Oklahoma, Texas was bananas. Absolutely bananas. Poor Texas. I actually found myself feeling a little bit bad for Texas. Is that weird? No, don't do that. (laughs) Well... (laughs) I Oklahoma, promise you, you know what Oklahoma, don't do that. Oklahoma is 2014 Florida State right now. They they can't wow. put their foot on the gas. Wow, what teams. a comparison. That's good. I, it, they're that without the hardware. That's a good point. Spencer Rattler gets benched in this game. Caleb Williams comes in. Spencer Rattler um, may or may not be the second best quarterback in college football anymore. I'm uh, going to have to update those rankings. Him and Emory Jones, neck somewhere. and neck, according to PFF. Yep. Um... We'll see how that impacts the overall grade, the upside. Um, interesting conversation about him. But that's kind of what I think Oklahoma is right now. And maybe maybe they're going to have that loss. They're, they're not playing well enough to be able to, to to run the table, I think, in the regular season. But that game was fun. It was bananas. That run by Bajan Robinson was, oh, my God. He's so freaking good. He's so freaking good. Arkansas fans, you deserve to be so happy watching Bajan Robinson play the way that he has this year and know that you actually contained him and shut him down. Yeah. Dude is the truth. Might be the best running back in all of college football. He's certainly up there. I was the number two team in the country. I was going to be the number two team in the country by the time everybody's listening to this. And yeah, because Bama was one, Georgia was two. Yeah, that's the way that works. Beat Penn State. How do you talk to Hawkeyes your kids might... about number two ranked Iowa? <laughs> yeah. Look, I have buddies who are Iowa friends and they're like, Iowa might not even be that good. <laughs> it really might not be. They, they benefit from from uh, from losing uh, when you have when you have a starting quarterback go down in the middle of the game. Sean Clifford 
out and then Penn State, their quarterback situation. You talk about AM having to turn to a potential walk-on. That's essentially what Penn State was having to do in that spot. And against that Iowa defense, good luck with that. BYU loses. So the door for uh, more chaos, I guess, that, that again, that just continues to help Cincinnati. I think everything is just breaking right for Cincinnati right now. Even Notre Dame pulling out a win at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg to be able to do that. So that's... I think that Cincinnati is is the one who is going to continue to benefit from all of this chaos. But what a Saturday, man! What a Saturday, man! So oh. Cincinnati sneaks up to four and they get a rematch with Georgia. I'd still, I'd still think Georgia would have a very good chance to be able to win that because I think Desmond Ritter would struggle against that defense. Yeah, I, I mean, no, it's just, it's just interesting. Like we always say with bowl games, it's like, oh, we could really take all this away from this bowl game. That seems like a bowl game that legitimately mattered. Yeah, kind of does. When you consider the pieces that are back on both sides of the ball, that that is a bowl game that that definitely we could look back on and be like, well, maybe that kind of told us how things were going to go. And JT Daniels kind of struggled in that game as well. Who knows when we're going to get JT Daniels back? Hopefully soon. But in the meantime, Georgia fans have to be ecstatic right now with everything that is played out. This is all shaping up in favor of the dogs. I continue to say that. And if you can just get JT Daniels back and healthy, which who knows how long that'll take, you're going to be feeling even better about it. Fun pod to be able to to go through all of those things. I'm on cloud nine right now after the weekend that I was able to have here in Lexington. I'm going to have some great stuff this week. Hopefully, we're overdue. You know what? We're overdue to get Chiswick back on the pod. We need to be able to do that soon. Oh, Maybe yeah. This week, we'll get Chiswick back on. My buddy. I was able to have dinner with him uh, about a week ago. Um, and I just... Love talking to that guy. So maybe we'll do that again real soon. We're going to have a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, Another fun surprise is going to be coming up. I don't know when this surprise is going to happen, but it will be happening in the next couple or few weeks. We just have to find a way to do it. And I think it's uh, my hint is that it it is a surprise that longtime listeners of the pod will appreciate and enjoy. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever wherever you get your podcast. Consume all things SaturdayDownSouth.com right now. Gosh, so much stuff to be talking about. So much stuff. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring it out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.